0: All right, students, last time we talked, we talked about book two, recall that book two prefigures, or not prefigures, but figures, the fall of Troy, the fall of Troy, as it is told by Aeneas, as he sits in Carthage and talks to the Sidonian queen, Dido. And so book three is a continuation of his wanderings, a continuation of his story to Dido. And it's what happens after the Trojans lose their home. They're going to attempt to find a new home. They're going to attempt to find a new home. They're going to hear multiple prophecies. They're going to hear prophecies at Delos. They're going to hear prophecies from Harpies, including one named Salino. We'll hear prophecies from a potentially traitorous former Trojan named Helenus, who is now married to Andromache. And then yet still something unexpected and tragic will happen to us. It's almost if we know what's going to happen, but it does not steal us from the impact of it. Somewhat disagreeing with Dante's later formulation by Kachavita in, I think, Canto 18 of The Paradiso, which is the arrow which is foreseen comes slower. Uh, Well, many arrows still come to be hit, or will still be shot at Aeneas, regardless of the ones that he knows about. And so Book 3 is his wanderings, very like Odysseus's wanderings, Except for, rather than leading victorious fighters towards their homes... He is leading uh, uh, those who are vanquished, the losers of a great battle towards uh, parts unknown in this this world. They want to find home, but finding home we'll soon see is very tricky business for these uh, these no longer uh, these Trojans, once Trojans, these once Dardans, these once Tucriots. And so the wanderings of Aeneas will pre- uh, will figure harpies, we'll see them, we'll talk a little bit about one of their prophecies. We'll meet Helenus in a place called Booth Rotum, where he is married to Andromache, where Andromache will be sort of a negative figure of Nausicaa. And then we will see a horrific death at the end. It won't be a horrific death, it will simply be a tragic death. That's a better way of putting it. And recall that will accord with our theme of what happens at the end of books in the Aeneid. Somebody always dies. Yes, at least in these first several books, at least in these first six of them. And so we get a small summary from Dryden. He's a very famous translator of the Aeneid, also a very famous translator of Plutarch's lives. And so I split this summary into uh, different parts, and we'll give you additional information based on them. So Aeneas proceeds with his story. He gives an account of the fleet which he sailed, uh, with which he sailed, and the success of his first voyage to Thrace. So something we all recall is that the Coconians are actually from a land very near Thrace. So when you leave Troy, one of the first places you might go would be Thrace. The birthplace of which Roman god? Ah. Rather, it was the birthplace of a Greek god, Ares, whose Roman equivalent would be? Mars. Mars. Very good. And so, we get there. In that land, Aeneas attempts to found a place called Aeneidae. And that makes perfect sense. If you lose a land, how far do you want to go to create a new land? Not very far. Not very far. Right, you want to save yourself the trouble. And so, he raises a land... That is named after him. And then we see a figure who we see several times throughout epic poems. You hear about him in the Divine Comedy. We actually see him die in the Iliad. He's written about in Ovid's Metamorphosis. His name is Polydorus. Which is a a name that means many gifts. And apparently his many gifts are many ways to die. Um, I uh, I always mistake him I think for Lycaon in the Iliad. But he was either, I believe he was the youngest son of Priam in the Iliad who actually had a spear thrown through his back, he was running around, he wasn't supposed to be, and tried to put his guts that had been eviscerated back into his stomach, and died in the river Xanthos. Well here, there's actually a far more tragic story. He had been sent by Priam to the king of Thrace to be kept safe in case anything happened to Troy. If anything happens to Troy and everybody dies there, at least there is one prince of Troy still alive, with a certain amount of fortune, to restore Troy. Well, when the king of Thrace found out that it was actually going to be the Achaeans, the Greeks, who defeated the Trojans, then he betrayed Priam. And he sold out this son, this Polydorus, to um, Agamemnon, and took the gold that would have otherwise been given to Polydorus for himself. And he uh, had Polydorus stabbed so many times that the place in which he's killed has become a bush. And so how we find out about this is that Aeneas, it's either Aeneas or one of his men, goes over to pull a branch off of the bush, sort of like in The Wizard of Oz when uh, Dorothy tries to pull an apple off the tree, and it's like, what are you doing? And uh, blood squirts out from the bush. It's very creepy. In fact, you'll see a very similar image that's obviously taken from this in Dante's Inferno in Circle 7-2 next year, where the suicides are, where they will have trees that have to bleed in order to speak, that are attacked by harpies. And so... Uh, clearly Dante will have been getting much of the imagery from that circle from which book in the Aeneid? Book three. Right, right, right. And so, blood squirts out of the bush. Instantly we think this is a pretty freaky or normal bush. Really freaky. Right. And it says, why do you, why do you not strike me, but why do you pull me from myself? Why do you pull me apart? And we're like, ah, freaky bush. And the bush explains to us, because it is the dead corpse of, um, uh excuse me, of, I forget, Polydorus, that he was betrayed in this land. And so treachery against the Trojans has ruled in this land. And so this land is pristine and clear, or in some way cursed because of the terrible things that have been done there. It's cursed, and so the Trojans are spooked, and they don't want to stay in this place where Trojan blood was spilled in a traitorous manner, and so it's time to go. It's time to go, but where are we to go? Well, if you don't have any idea where to go, A good place to go is somewhere where a temple of Apollo is. Apollo, of course, is the god of prophecy, not only for the Romans, but also for the Greeks. you don't know where to go, you better talk to him. He'll give you some foresight, or maybe some insight into your situation. The question that Aeneas puts to these gods, is, or to this god, is, where is it that we're supposed to go? Where do we belong? And he hears that the place that the Trojans belong is their ancestral land. Now the problem with hearing your ancestral land is if your people have been along around for some amount of time, and they have migrated, then you actually have one ancestral land or multiple ones? Multiple ones, and that herein lies the problem. Because Anchises, father to Aeneas, who is often called father until he dies, in which case, Aeneas will then be called father, showing how our roles, in a metapsychotic or transmigratory way, are always changing. You're the son, then you're the what? The father, and then your son becomes the what? And then his son becomes the what? It's like we're always uh, coming to embody roles and then giving them up as we come, as we're born. We develop, and then we die. In any case, Anchises misinterprets this oracle, indicating that his wisdom is perfect wisdom or imperfect wisdom. Imperfect, and he says that we once had uh, lands in Crete. Now, the problem with Crete is that Crete is a place that is currently possessed by the Achaeans. In fact, it was Idomeneus who possessed that land. Though it is also true that all men for the Greeks and for the Romans Would have come from Crete. Who recalls who the first archetypal king of Crete was? Son of Zeus. Had a minotaur as a son. Ah, it's in the name. Minotaur? His name was King Minos. In fact, you will see him in the Inferno next year as a judge of the dead. In fact, you will see him in Book 6 here as a judge of the dead. First judge generally means best judge. In any case, Anchises misinterprets the prophecy from Delos, the Delian of Prophecy. We then go to Crete. Now, here's the problem. When we get to Crete, we find that there is a city that is totally abandoned. We try and set a new city that is named after the citadel of Troy, which was called Pergamos. We now name this place Pergamum. Unfortunately, as we know from Oedipus and from Book 1 of the Iliad, when someone does something immoral in the ancient world, what often afflicts them from the bow of Apollo? Plague. Exactly. Just like, uh, just like Thebes had been afflicted due to the actions of Oedipus, killing his father, laying with his mother, just as the Achaeans were afflicted with plague by Apollo for disrespecting his prophet. Anybody recall the name of that prophet from way back when? Who was the father of, this will probably give it away, Chris As It was Christmas. Alright, in any case. Remember why it is that Crete had plague. Idominius on the way home made a promise to Neptune, Poseidon. He said, if I get through this storm, if I make it home, I will what the first living thing that I see when I make landing on the beach. Yes. I will make sacrifice, and he probably thought it was going to be a deer, or a snake, or hopefully a crab, unfortunately what he saw was his own darling son, and so he spilled the blood of his son, he killed his son in sacrifice, in fact Dante will say next year that this is an instance of one of the times that what, that keeping your promise is actually worse than breaking your promise, and that Edomeneus should have broken his promise even to a god rather than have done this, and Perhaps you agree. Perhaps you agree that there's a touch of humanity there. In any case, because of his actions, he brought plague on his city. The men then had to flee that city. The unfortunate thing is, has that plague disappeared from the air around there? No. It's still there. Can we say? No. No. Second place we've gone, even after a prophecy, not the right place. We figured out that Anchises was wrong. makes us not only question how long this journey is going to take, but also makes us question our leadership, too. Because if they can be wrong about that, well, what else can they be wrong about? Anything. And that's the thing about following a leader. All right. We then receive counsel from the Panates. Remember, these are the so-called household gods, the statues that Aeneas takes with him from. It's either his home or Anchises' home. I think Anchises brings them with us. They're sort of uh, symbols for the customs and the language and the, uh, the way of being of the Trojans. These are the, these are the ancestral fragments that remind him of who he is, wherever it is that he goes. And they show themselves as giants in his dreams. Again, we have another dream here. He's had a dream from Hector. He's had a dream now from the deep We'll see even more dreams during the course of this story. And they give him the true sense of the oracle. It was not in fact, in which means that he receives the truth from where? Outside or inside himself? If it's a dream. Within himself, which is a nice metaphor for where should you find the truth as a human? Within yourself. yourself. You need to trust yourself. Right, exactly. In any case, they say, no, no, no. Your ancestral land is a western land. The Hesperia, Italy. The um, The place near Sicily where King uh acades currently rules and that is the place that you need to go well uh after this dream he starts to make his way towards this italy and first runs into i believe it's an archipelago archipelago called the strophides there in the strophides he runs into and this is a common theme in book three running into horrific monsters that are just as bad or worse than what odysseus ran into he runs into some harpies now harpies are foul loathsome creatures We'll see them down in hell next year in the inferno they'll be picking at the uh the leaves and the branches of poor suicide trees and making them bleed and feel pain something about the harpies just to know how horrifying they are is they're like black birds with human faces woman's faces so they're like pretty faces but they're pale and they have nasty black bodies on their black bodies they have feces smeared all over their chest so how do they smell Horrible, terrible and in fact they're very famous from a story of a guy who killed his own children, named Phineas, whom they blinded, and or, or whom was blinded afterwards, and forever, whenever he tried to take a bite of food, would have a harpy steal it from him. It's sort of like, will you take any pleasure in anything after you do something of a special of especially high, uh, terribleness? No, probably not. Won't take any uh, joy in food. In any case, the trojans attempt to fight off the harpies they do fight them off but they can't do damage to them because they're powerful mythological creatures during that skirmish or rather just after Salino makes a prophecy to aeneas and she says you and your trojans will someday starve so bad that you will have to eat your plates i want you to remember that prophecy because when we get near the end of this text and i have to do a little bit of summarizing of the last few books because we don't have time to read them all, I will give you that instance. It will happen in Book Seven, actually, that uh, we talk about the plates getting eaten. I think it's actually a pretty lame uh, prophecy because actually, do you want to hear what the plates end up being? They're pita bread. You know how like bread is for a sandwich is like the plate of the food you put on the sandwich. Well, it's like a dumb metaphor like that. So they don't actually end up starving and having to eat their plates. Or it, it, I think it's actually technically tables that they have to eat. And you're like, eat a table? That's not very delicious. Looks like fake composite wood like, yeah, well, pita bread's a lot better. In any case, we make it from there to booth Boothrodum. This is the uh, I'll say the third location that we've been to, the Strophides. I don't really count as well as the Delos location. We passed through those. But this is, well, actually, let's count those two So we've been to Thrace, we tried to find a city there, we've been to Delos, which told us to go to our ancestral lands where we accidentally went to Crete. we after Crete we went through the Strophides, and now we go to Boothrodum. Now In years past, I focused more on Boothbrodom, but I want you just to know some important details. There's a small stream outside of Boothbrodom that is dried up. They call it the Xanthos. Remember that the Xanthos was also the name of the very powerful river, which was in front of Troy. This is itself a metaphor. A metaphor for what the stream of life of the people who live in Boothbrodom has dried up, has dried out. It's like they're living in the past. In fact, The first thing we see there is a young lady who seems to be tending to her clothing, which reminds us of whom in the Odyssey? Nausicaa. The thing about Nausicaa is she was happy or sad when we saw her. Very happy because she was looking towards the what? Where she would have a husband. The future. Her future was so bright. Well, the thing about Andromache is that now she looks towards the what? Which makes her so sad the past because all the good times in her life so far as she knows are no longer in front of her but rather what behind her and the thing is she's actually she's not looking forward to finding a husband and then finding Odysseus who could potentially be that husband instead we find Andromache who is washing clothes and crying for her dead son and potentially for her dead husband as well butthrodom is a negative version of scria it is a negative version of future expectation rather than expecting good things to come they attempt to live in the past because the present is so totally unbearable other reasons why it's unbearable andromache not only has had her son killed and her people taken from her and her beautiful wonderful noble husband taken but her current husband is Helenus. remember that Helenus was the prophet brother of hector and paris who was caught by ulysses and who was squeezed for the information about getting Philoctetes and Neoptolemus back to the war. Had Helenus not given information about the Palladium, Philoctetes, and Neoptolemus to the Achaeans, what would not have happened? Troy would not have fallen. Not have fallen. So Andromache is married essentially to a what? A traitor. a traitor. A complete traitor. The opposite of Hector. How great is her life now? Not very good. Not very good. Not very good. This place is a pale imitation of what. Troy was everything is inverted. The river is weak. Their their gaze is backwards rather than forwards. And rather than a noble soul leading them, it's a treacherous soul leading them. We don't want to stay here very long, but we do need a prophecy from Helenus because we need to know where to go. We need to know what to do. We're going to receive a lot of prophecies in this text. In fact, we'll get one from Mercury, Hermes, twice in Book Four. And so, what his prophecy tells? It's sort of it's almost useless. He doesn't really give a lot of direct information. He says, A, you need to meet this other more powerful prophet named the Sybil who follows Apollo. She's actually going to guide Aeneas into hell, into their version of hell. Well, actually, he's not going to take an image he's not going to take the detour into Tartarus. We'll wait until next year for that. He'll go to their version of heaven, which will be called the Elysian Fields or Elysium. In fact, I think there's a beer company that's local called elysian fields and so the idea seems to be that when you get drunk you go to heaven but as we know from the cyclopes is that true not at all all. that's right in any case in any case the other part of the prophecy is that they will have to make it to the western land the land of their ancestors and there they have to fight more and so it's not really a particularly great prophecy they then pass a couple very interesting things they almost get caught up by charybdis but somehow aeneas and his sailors uh get out of the whirlpool so sort of like pirates of the caribbean at world's end um you know that last fight that's in a maelstrom which is a whirlpool in the ocean well and then they pass by the cyclopes they actually make landing on the cyclopes island which is very interesting because we see polyphemus again and polyphemus does not have his eye because ulysses has just what just been there and just left his eye is bleeding down blood. It's actually a very disgusting and scary image. And in fact, we meet an Achaean there, and his name is Achaemenides. Achaemenides tells us that Ulysses left him on that island, which tells us what about the Roman perception of the Greeks. Not only are they deceptive, they got that Trojan horse end, but what? how do they feel for their own people? They don't even care about their own people. And so this is sort of an attack by uh, the Roman poet Virgil on the Greek character. Which is very interesting. They do pick up Achaemenides, he becomes part of their crew. Sort of like Theocleminus in the Odyssey with um, Telemachus. Alright, good, 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 good. Alright, last bit that we need, and we'll open our books in just a second. For all the prophecies we've received. We've received a Delian prophecy. We've received a prophecy from Celino, the Harpy. We've received a prophecy from Helenos, from these people who live in the past. You would think that we would know the what perfectly the future perfectly, and yet, there are always things that we miss, there are always things that happen that we could not possibly expect, except for we as readers know that if we're getting to the end of book three, and that's the end of a book, and it's the Aeneid, what's going to happen? Somebody's going to die. Open your books, please, to book three, lines 915 to 927, page 80, in the Mandelbaum. We are using Alan Mandelbaum's Translation. He has a very famous translation, and inexpensive, of both the Aeneid and the Inferno. The Aeneid is written in Latin, of course, and then the Inferno is in Italian. It was a Tuscan dialect. At that time, it was the vulgar language of Florence, and, um, well, they're pretty similar, too. A lot of people that study Latin eventually study Italian. And so, and I might sneeze. We'll see. In the middle of this... We'll just say that that is uh, an image of the divine. Then Drapanum's unhappy coast and harbor received me. It is here that after all the tempests of the sea. I want you to really think about that line. After everything he's been through. The fall of Troy. The loss of his wife. Going to one land. Trying to set his life there. And failing. Going to another land. Trying to set his life. And failing there. Let me just finish this. I lose my father. Anchises. Stay in every care and crisis, for here, O oh best of fathers, you first left me to my weariness alone. And Chises, and you, who were saved in vain from dreadful dangers, not even Helenus the prophet, nor the horrible Salino, when they warned of many terrors, told this grief to come. And this was my last trial. This was the term of my long journey. I left that harbor, and then the god drove me upon. Up You're sure. All right, and that's what happened right before Aeneas made it to uh, Carthage.